Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. We are the environmental news podcast where we bring you the latest on everything green. We talk about climate, we talk about energy, we talk about the politics around it all. I'm Ant Sharwood. I'm a guy who writes things. I'm a journalist. I write books. I write notes on the fridge that get ignored by everyone. <laughs> Luckily, my books have a few readers. And I'm joined today by Elfie. Hi, Elfie. Hi there. Hi, I'm Elfie Scott. I'm a journalist, writer, and recent visitor of our nation's capital, which was very exciting, Ant. What a good weekend. All right. They never used to say that about Canberra, but it's changed, hasn't it? It's, it's better cool now. now. I'm a Canberran. I grew up there. <laughs> I was never cool, but, but it took people like you to make it cool. <laughs> Thanks, <Ooh>. man. <laughs> All right. Well, this week on the pod, we're going to be talking about a fossil fuel giant buying out one of Australia's greenest energy companies. We've got mega fires, forest investigations, mosquito explosions and more. But to kick things off, Ant, we need to talk about some very weird political intervention over a climate agreement. Elfie, what exactly uh, has the federal government been up to here? I think you better introduce this one. Yeah, sure. So essentially there's this coalition called the Under Two Coalition and it's this big agreement... from all of these sub-national jurisdictions, states and territories across the world. And they are all basically cooperating to keep global warming up to under two degrees. And very weirdly, the federal government has used its powers recently to override states and territories who are participating in that coalition. Basically, the news story goes that the Victorian government got an email saying that their participation in it was no longer in operation from the Department of Home Affairs and trade. And apparently the ACT, Northern Territory, Queensland and South Australia have all been cut out of it too. And um, Lily D'Ambrosio, and I, excuse me for always saying Oh, her, that was beautiful. Her, her I was very Italian unsure accent. about how to pronounce that. Thank you very much. But uh, now I've dealt with Lily before. She's, she's nice. She sent me off to read a book in the forest this year at the Victorian Taxpayers' Expense <laughs> up at Mount Bourbon. Thank you so much, Lily. I, I, I enjoyed that day. But look, she's not happy. She's mad. She said that um, the, the government was operating on a ridiculous technicality, which mm-hmm. the, uh, you'd have to say they are. She called the government vandals, which is big words. They're big, big, nasty words. Fighting words. Uh, they certainly were. And look, this is, this is about places like, I mean, to use an American example, this is, this is, you know, California increased its amount of renewable energy in the Trump years. Our states here, whether or not the federal government is on board uh, with things like net zero, not just by 2050, but by reducing uh, emissions significantly by 2030, they want to do two things. They want to put programs in place themselves and they want to liaise with the states. They want to share information. Yeah. And um, they've basically been given the big stick just just for wanting to do those those really simple things. And I'm not quite sure this has been a great week for our democracy. Yeah, totally. It's it's a very strange move from the federal government. Nobody's quite sure why it's happened. I think they're allegedly it's because of some sort of bureaucratic reason. But anyway, it is weird. Let's wrap that up and say it's weird. Well, it is. And, and if it hasn't been the greatest uh, week for our democracy, what sort of week has it been, Elfie, for consumers of renewable energy? Well, in Australia, there has been quite the stink this week because fossil fuel giant Shell announced earlier this week that it will acquire the electricity and gas retailer PowerShop, which is kind of like the green energy darling in Australia, right? Is, is, is this like McDonald's buying my favourite vegetarian food chain? It's sort of like 
a much worse McDonald's, dare I say, <laughs> buying a vegetarian food chain. Um, so basically, Shell has bought out PowerShop's parent company, Meridian Energy Australia. And yeah, it's caused a lot of controversy because Greek, sorry, PowerShop represented this really amazing sort of green energy alternative. They were pushed by places like GetUp, actually, in the first place, who mobilized tens of thousands of people to sign up to them. And now suddenly their parent company is Shell. Okay, but but you put that in the past tense there. You said uh, PowerShop represented. And they've been acquired by Shell, but they they still exist. They're still there. And my question has to be, and it's a question that we all have to ask ourselves, PowerShop is good. PowerShop sits there, powershop.com.au, and it's your retailer. It lets you have a look at all the, uh, you know, renewable energy out there and say, hmm, what's the best deal for me? Mm. It's a good service. Is it a worse service now that it's owned by Shell? (laughs) I think this is actually an example of your sweet optimism rubbing up against (laughs) my deep cynicism. Cynicism, rather. Because, yeah, I mean, I think that people do have a right to feel fairly resentful of this happening. And you know what? I think that that's being reflected in the market at the moment because places like Cooperative Power are actually getting a huge amount of customers transitioning over. Apparently, they tripled their customer base this week. Totally get that. There are three or four other the providers just like PowerShop. But I think it's an interesting, you know, question. I mean, it is. It is an Shell and to a lesser extent BP, the, the big fossil fuel companies are buying renewable assets and are transitioning. They will follow the market like anyone else in business. And it may be that Shell ends up being, you know, they're one of Australia's big um, liquefied natural gas uh, operators in Australia at the moment. They might end up being our biggest wind or hydrogen operator. And I'm not sure if that's intrinsically a bad thing. Oh, God. Uh, we would get into a massive argument if we kept going on All this right, track. Well, All right. But let's change tact. <laughs> We're going to talk about another study that was done this week by the CSR. CSIRO that has focused in on what's happening with Australia's fire mm. seasons. And can you walk me through this? Look, there's a there's a good pricey of it in in the nature in the journal nature.com if you can cop a bit of academic language. But you know when you cut through the the jargon there are some pretty basic points revealed there. We now know thanks to the half dozen or so scientists uh, that that did this. The journal is called Nature Communications, I should say. We now know that uh, fires are happening more often. Mm-hmm. We kind of knew that anecdotally anyway, but the evidence is there. We know that the gap between fires is getting shorter every year. And that's really interesting, right? Can you tell me why that's a problem? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is interesting. Basically, a landscape, the Australian landscape, a eucalypt forest is at its most flammable. And this, I've learned this speaking to a lot of forest scientists in recent years for the books I've written, but it's at its most flam- flammable within about five to 10 years of a fire. Straight mm. after a fire, there's nothing to burn. 80 years after a fire, you've got a beautiful, not even that long, you've got a beautiful forest canopy and that thins out all the vegetation underneath. But in this sort of five to 10 to 15 year-ish kind of zone, mm. you've got a forest in its most flammable state. Now, unfortunately, the fires are coming about every five or 10 or 15 years when they used to come every 50 years mm. or something more like that. So... 
but look, unequivocally, this is the final nail in the coffin of the world's stupidest theory, which was, oh, it was arsonist or it was anything. Oh, it was the tooth God fairy. help us. I know. It was anything but climate change. But this study, and I encourage you all to go and read it, Nature Communications, it's on there. Just Google it, Fire Study, CSIRO. It, re- it absolutely says in the clearest possible terms that the warming climate and Australian bushfires are intrinsically linked, full stop. Yeah, absolutely. And God, you have to hand it to the CSIRO scientists, <laughs> don't you? They've been saying this for about a decade. Yeah. And, you know, now this study has come out. It's an incredible uh, look at some of the data for the past 90 years or something. Yep. And, um, yeah, it's written there in stone. So it is. highly suggest having a little look at it. Not a firebug in sight. Um, and, and, look, trees are in the news In a few ways this week, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. So we have to talk about illegal logging. And it's been exposed in Victoria through an incredible investigation from the ABC that was published this week. And can you tell me a little bit about the Victorian Central Highlands? Uh, Look, there's a book on the shelves at the moment uh, competing with my book, The Brumby Wars, and probably doing a bit better. It's a magnificent book. It deserves it. It's called The Great Forest. Okay. And it celebrates sort of – it's sort of that area from the outskirts of Melbourne and the Dandenongs through to the foothills of the Victorian Alps, the Central Highlands as they're called. In that area, below the Alpine country, but away from the coast, grow the mountain ash, the world's tallest flowering plant. Incredible. They can, they're generally about 60 metres. They've found specimens up to 90 and 100 metres. Now, what the ABC investigation found this week is that Vic Forest, which is allowed to, to, to log these mountain ash, uh, has been doing it on, stope, uh, on slopes that are too steep. Okay. You can't log in an area over 30 degrees in gradient. That's because you start polluting. Uh, you, 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 you absolutely the soil can't handle it. Your mm. runoff is polluted. This a lot of this area is in the catchment of the Thompson Dam. Totally walked through that area two years ago, um, and you there's clear water in places and dirty water in places, and you can see where they've been logging. And apparently, it's a hundred times worse where they log in areas that are too steep, Elfie. So what the ABC did this week was a double punch. One. They revealed the areas that were too steep that have been logged. Two, they revealed harassment to forest campaigners. Yes, that's right. And I believe that you actually spoke to a campaigner earlier this week, right? I, I did. So, so I had a good chat with with Sarah Reese, who's who's a, a local from Marysville. You know, she she wasn't sort of born an activist or born what you might call a greenie to use a word which is sometimes a disparaging word when you're in regional Australia. Um, she <laughs> it's just, a slur. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. No doubt about that. She loves the forest. Sarah Rees loves the forest. She's worked. Um, she's been on the Forest Stewardship Council. She's she's had lots of official positions, but she's basically just a conservationist. Mm. And she was surveilled. She was followed. She's been harassed. You know, I spoke to Sarah about, about a couple of things this week, and she really opened my eyes. I mean, one of the things that she told me is, is, is that – um, most of the uh, trees, look, you think a mountain ash, a 60-metre eucalypt, it's being turned into the best floorboards you've ever seen. Oh, it'd make a beautiful table. Someone's feature table. Nope. The mountain ash are being sent off to a Japanese-owned mill and they're being turned into cardboard. Here's, here's a few words from uh, Sarah now, if, if we can have those. There's no other country that I'm aware of in the developed nations that would be converting... 80 to 100-year-old forests into container liners. Yeah, I mean... It's such a poignant 
issue, isn't it, really? And I think that what it really does is illustrate Australia's problem with deforestation and logging in general, right? It Uh, really is that... Basic we are philosophy. signatories to the new treaty, uh, not the new treaty, but we are si- under COP26 uh, to, to stop deforestation. Mm-hmm. And look, the good news is that Vic Forest, which is a, um, you know, the sort of corporatised arm of, of the Andrews government, um, it, it um, is supposed to stop logging native forest by 2030. So it's on its last legs, the industry. It's going to be plantation only is the plan mm. after 2030. But demand... At the moment, this is what Sarah told me. That, you know, in, in other grabs that we don't have time to play, is 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 just getting stronger and stronger as that deadline approaches. Yeah, right. And they're running to the finish line. And that is why perhaps they're logging in areas that may be too steep than what they're supposed to be logging in. That seems to be what's happening here. Interesting. Okay. Well, now we are going to head into the section that we are suddenly calling good, bad and weird after several (laughs) title attempts. Many failed on my part. But you have an interesting story about mosquito explosions. Uh, it's not so much exploding. You make it sound like exploding mosquitoes, which well, that'd be very cool. Red splats everywhere. That would be red splats (laughs) everywhere. It's as simple as this. Mosquitoes need two things to breed. They need water and they need warmth. Uh, we've got water, especially in New South Wales at the moment, also parts of Victoria and Queensland. There Bloody are flood, wet, man. Flood waters everywhere. Uh, and there's a bit of warmer weather coming this week. That, according to uh, Dr Cameron Webb, who I also spoke to this week, is about to cause a explosion of numbers of mosquitoes. No, no, no. Mosquito explosion. That's what we're going with. Right, Thank red, you, Matt. Red splats everywhere. Say it again. Um, <laughs> and and what that's going to mean is uh, potential in, in diseases uh, mm. to, to, to increase mosquito-borne diseases. Um, look, if you need to monitor, I don't know if you've ever woken up in the morning, Elfie, and said, I need to monitor the uh, incidence of uh, mosquito. Every goddamn day of well, my life. Well, there you go. Well, now you can. In fact, you've been able to for ages because New South Wales Health, I didn't know about this until yesterday, New South Wales Health has a website. And on that website, um, and in, you can actually look at the uh, arbovirus surveillance. Arbovirus is a mosquito-borne virus. Nothing to do with trees. It sounds like trees. Arboreal, <laughs> but it's to do with arthropods. Mm. Mm, Exoskeletons, insects, mosquitoes. Yeah, we're actually um, looking at the uh, the front page of this week's report, week ending 20th of November 2021. And the news now is it's not too bad, but it could be. So just keep monitoring. I know you will. The New South Wales Health Mosquito page, uh, first place I go in the morning. Yeah, fantastic. All right. And speaking about weird little critters, we are going to talk about crabs and lobsters now very quickly because this week lobsters, octopuses and crabs have all been recognised as sentient beings by the UK government. And it actually comes after this research on decapod and cephalopod sentience, finding that they are more sentient, more intelligent perhaps than we thought they were before. And now it's recognising that in the legislation, which is really fascinating. You know, like all vertebrates were apparently already recognised under this legislation, but it means that going forward that fishing practices and things like that, they're going to be having to take into account welfare practices. More. So, so they should. Octopus are people too. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Crabs yes. are people too. Yeah, absolutely. And Octopus th- marriage, that's what I'm advocating for now. Absolutely, absolutely should. I would remind uh, everyone out there that, that um, World Octopus Day has passed. I'm sorry about that, but it is, of course, the date of World Octopus Day, Elfie. Oh, God. All right. Yep. Tell me. It's Oct 8. <sighs> of course it is. We look forward it. to that next year. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And look, but it's, a, it's a good way to, to wind up the uh, 
pod talking about all these cephalopods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that is all we have time for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. And please make sure to like, subscribe and tune in next week so we can catch you up on all of the essential environment news. Before we head off today, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nations, the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, as well as extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. That's very nicely said, Elfie. And I would encourage everyone out there to get around us on socials. We're at Green Canary Pod on Twitter. We're Green Canary Media out there on Instagram. Please say hello to us and we hope to see you next week. Bye. Bye.